There are two scripture readings this morning. The first is from Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. And the second reading is from the book of 1 John. This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you. God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light and God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all our wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. morning we're in week two of this new sermon series we began last Sunday called Breaking Free in which we're talking about negative emotions how to deal with negative emotions breaking free the idea being that these emotions come and they can control us they can dominate us so how do you experience these emotions in a healthy way so last week we talked about anger next week we're going to be talking about anxiety and this week in week two we're talking about guilt guilt So uh, no introduction this morning, I just want to get right into it. There's going to be three sections to the sermon this morning. First, why guilt is so great. Second, how to get more of it. And third, what to do with it once you've got it. Why guilt is so great, how to get more of it, and what to do with it once you've got it. Those will be the three sections to this morning's sermon, and we'll take them one at a time. So first, section one. Why guilt is so great. And I'm, that's actually not tongue-in-cheek. You know, I'm, I'm not being sarcastic when I say that. When you look at Scripture, what you see is that guilt is actually a really good thing. And obviously that's contrary to the way people look at it today. You know, the, the feeling you get among uh, sophisticated, educated types is that guilt is sort of this regressive holdover from a, a messed up childhood you know, especially a religious childhood or upbringing. And people will talk about Catholic guilt, particularly in that way, you know, like this Catholic guilt I have from, you know, the, the nuns, they were so terrible. And, you know, it's like this scarring almost. And it's, it's thought of that to become a healthy adult is to, like, graduate from all that. You know, you, you got all this, this stuff that was beat into you as a kid. And as a, as a grown-up, you need to learn to not feel guilty anymore. And it's, it's a sign of health to never feel guilty. And that's not true. At least that's not how the Bible looks at it. I want to convince you this morning that rather than being this tool of manipulation that religion uses 
to control people. Guilt actually is one of the greatest gifts God himself has given you, and it could save your life. But before we, we talk about that, what we need to do first is separate out what we're not talking about. When I say guilt is great, when I say guilt is a good thing, I want to talk about the, the type of guilt I mean in just a second. But to clarify, let, let's talk about some things I don't mean, because I don't want to be misunderstood. So, so four things we're not talking about this morning when I say guilt. The first thing we're not talking about is what I call false guilt. And by false guilt, I mean when you feel bad about something as if you did something wrong, but you didn't do anything wrong. So this could be for a couple of different reasons. It could be kind of like we were just talking about with the, the nuns. It could be because somebody did use guilt in an inappropriate way in your past as a way to try to control you. Or it could be uh, where somebody else did something wrong to you. There's actually guilt that results uh, from that, strangely sometimes. So just to take a, a really extreme and heartbreaking example... Children who are sexually abused often feel very guilty about it, like they did something wrong. Same thing with with rape victims. There's this guilt about it. Well, that's not what we're talking about. That obviously, that false guilt is not great. So I'm not defending that or talking about why that's good because it's not. So that's the first thing we're not talking about. Second thing we're not talking about this morning and kind of closely related to that is shame, this feeling of just deep unworthiness or ugliness or this embarrassment about who you are and this desire to, to hide. Chip has given some great sermons in the past few years about shame and has pointed out there's nothing good about shame. All shame does is just make us want to hide and, and disconnect us from God and other people. So I'm not saying shame is great. False guilt isn't great. Shame is great. The third thing we're not talking about this morning is the guilt of like um, not measuring up or falling short, you know, like so uh, mom guilt would fall into this category, you know, where you feel like you're just not doing enough for your kids. You know, you need to get them into Chinese lessons and you need to make them eat their vegetables more and less time on the iPad and or just any area of your life where you feel like, man, I, I'm not measuring up, you know, I'm not good enough. It could be as a Christian, you know, you feel like I'm not reading the Bible enough, or I'm not praying enough, or it could be at work, or as a spouse, whatever it is, we're not this morning talking about the, the guilt of like not being good enough and not measuring up. And then the fourth thing we're not talking about is regret, like non-moral regret, where you think back on your life and you think, man, I wish I would have made a different decision here. You know, I wish I would have taking that job or not taking that job or moved to that city or not moved to that city or, or not broken off that relationship. Whatever it is, that's, we're not talking about that either. We're not talking about regret of a non-moral nature. You say, well, that's a lot of things we're not talking about. So, so what are we talking about? What we are talking about, what we are talking about when I say guilt this morning is guilt proper, classic guilt quintessential guilt, which is when you do something that you know is wrong, you know it's wrong, or you're doing something that you know is wrong, when you violate the moral law, not any of those other things, forget about all that other stuff, just that, when you violate the moral law with your actions. You say, well, that's just it. You know, when you say the moral law, I mean, there isn't just one moral law. You know, different people have different ideas of morality and different cultures have defined it different ways. So, so what do you mean when I violate the moral law? But actually, that's not true. You know, if you look throughout history, 
Uh, it, it changes a little bit on the margins, but the core morality of, of being a human being on this planet has just never changed. It's been agreed upon by all cultures for all time. So like if you take, for example, uh, commandments six through nine of the Ten Commandments, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie. There has never been a culture anywhere. Anthropologists have never discovered any culture that has said those things are good, that have said it's honorable to lie to your friends. We, we all know those things are wrong. They're written on our hearts. And again, you know, at the margins, you can have debates. So you get into philosophy class, and it's like, well, if you know, you're hiding Jews and the Nazis come to your door and ask, are there any Jews here, do you lie? And the answer is, of, of course you lie. That's a very easy question. And so then people say, well, see, there you go. See, it's not always wrong to lie. And so it's very confusing. You know, what is right? What is wrong? It's, it's actually not confusing at all. Let me break it down for you. <laughs> if there are Nazis at your door and you're hiding Jews and they ask you if you have Jews in your house, you lie. Otherwise, don't. pretty much that simple. And, you know, obviously I'm being a little bit facetious, but the point is, sure, at the very extremes, we can have debates, and there can be exceptions to the rule. But 99.9% of the time in your life, that doesn't apply. So these exceptions you make in your own mind, these excuses you make in your own mind for, you know, why it was okay for me to lie in that particular instance. Well, they're not going to hold up in any philosophy class. I don't care how out there it is. Nobody's going to think that that's a good excuse. That's just something we, we make up ourselves. So we know what's right. We know what's wrong. We have this written on our hearts. We come with it. It's innate. It's a gift from God to us in guilt proper. Classic Pure, clean guilt is when you violate that moral law, you violate your conscience, and what happens is, as God's gift to you, you feel terrible. That's what happens. You just feel awful. You feel sick. You feel really, really bad. And that feeling is a wonderful thing because what it is, is it's a warning light. It's telling you you're going the wrong way. You, your life is, is going off the rails, and if you keep doing this, it's not going to work out. Because the thing about these moral laws is they're every bit as real as any other type of law, more real. They're, more, they're not like uh, the laws of uh, nations, you know, like, uh, like laws we make up. They're more like uh, the laws of science. It's more like the law of, of gravity. It's like the laws of physics where you don't break the law of gravity. It breaks you. If you say, I'm going to be a rule breaker, I'm going to break the law of gravity just this once, well, good luck with that. You know, that's you splat at the bottom of the, the cliff. And it's the same thing with the law against lying or stealing or adultery or whatever it is. You don't break these laws. You don't ever get away with it. It might seem for a minute or a year or 10 years like you're getting away with it, but you're not because you can't break these laws. They break you. And guilt is this feeling that gets you back on track. It tells you, my life is going the wrong direction. I'm, I'm going to go off the cliff unless I do a course direction. So it's kind of like a, a blinking light, you know, a, a warning light. It's, it's, it's beeping, telling you, like, you know, sensor, like, you're going, you're going the wrong way. And the, the unpleasantness of it is the whole point. You know, a blinking light 
A, a beeping light is annoying. Like that's, and it's beeping to get your attention. And it's only effective uh, in proportion to how unpleasant it is. So if you've got like this like really gentle glowing light, you know, it's just like a nice light ding, you know, chimes or something, you can ignore it. And that's like a guilt when your conscience isn't working the way it's supposed to. You know, you, you can just ignore it. But if, if you're operating, if, you're, if your soul is healthy, if your soul is operating the way it should, then, it's, then the guilt is more like this, this blaring siren. You know, it's, it's loud. It's, it's annoying, and you want to fix it. You want to turn it off. Another analogy would be just think about pain in your body. You know, if you feel some pain, what that is is it's a sign you need to go get checked out. It's a sign that there might be a deeper problem, and the pain could save your life because you go in, and they follow the pain as a clue to the real problem. So that's the first section of the sermon. That's why guilt is so great. Again, not any of those false kinds of guilt or shame or any of that, but true guilt, when you've done something wrong and you know it's wrong, that's a good thing because it can help you get back on track. Let's move on now to section number two. Section number two this morning. First, why guilt is so great. Second, how do you get more of it? How do you feel more guilty? You know, people say, well, church, you know, I don't like going to church because it's just a, a guilt trip. Well, that's exactly what I want this to be this morning. I want this to be a terrible guilt trip. I want to help you feel more guilty. You say, oh, no, 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 not me. My problem is I'm too hard on myself. Well, probably not. You know, I I mean, to be honest with you, that's probably not the case. Probably you're too easy on yourself. And, And from talking to people in our church and from looking at my own life, Our problem as a congregation, I'll just say this, is not that we're too hard on ourselves. It's that we let ourselves off the hook. It's that we do things that we know are wrong. And we either uh, never confess them, you know, just pretend like it never happened, or or even worse, we just keep doing them. Just keep doing them. How? How can you get by with that? There's only one way to, to do that. And that's if you find some way to mute or to turn off or to short-circuit guilt. Because guilt is the thing that keeps you from doing wrong. You do wrong, and you feel terrible, and so then you don't want to do wrong anymore. You do wrong, and you feel so sick, and so you have to confess. There's only one way out of that, and that's if you figure out some sneaky way to turn down guilt, or to cut the wire of guilt so that the light doesn't blink anymore. Which, at the end of the day, is not in your own best self-interest. You know, it's like you're driving the car, and the check engine light is flashing. You're like, that light is so annoying. And so instead of going to get the car checked out, you just figure out where the wire is for the light and cut the light. And you're like, oh, good. I dealt with that problem. Now I don't have to be bothered by that light anymore. Or with the body, you, know, you take pills. Take pills to make the symptoms go away. But the underlying problem has not been addressed. So when I say how to get more guilt, how to get more of it, how to feel more guilty, What I'm talking about is how do you reconnect the wiring so that your conscience works the way it was supposed to work, so that your conscience works the way it worked when it came out of the box instead of the way it works now that you've taken to hammer to it so many times so that it'll stop blinking. And there's in in this section I want to talk about four ways that we short-circuit guilt, four things we do, four tricks we've come up with to feel less guilty. Now, to feel more guilty, all you have to do is stop doing these things. Just stop cutting the wires. Stop hitting your conscience with a hammer. And if you stop, guilt very naturally will arise, will bubble up. But as long as you're doing these things, you won't feel guilty because these are the ways we short-circuit it. 
So the first thing we do is just use selective memory. Just, you know, block it out. Pretend like it didn't happen. You pull a, a Richard Nixon and just erase that part of the tape and pretend that it never even happened at all. And we're all good at this. You know, we all have these selective memories where I, I fully believe you that if I first ask you, you know, what do you feel guilty about? Nothing. I don't feel guilty about anything because you've just erased it. You've erased that part of the tape. So let me ask you again. Let me ask you a second time. What do you feel guilty about? What did you do? What are you doing right now? And you know it's wrong, and you've never confessed it, and you won't stop, and you just pretend like it's not happening. Don't use selective memory. Don't block it out. You've got to let yourself feel guilty about it. That's the first thing we do is selective memory. The second thing we do, the way we short-circuit guilt is to blame. So maybe you admit that it happened, but you say, well, it was that other person's fault. You know, it was my the other person's fault because they did it to me first. Or it was my friend's fault because, you know, they uh, pressured me into it. Or it was my parents' fault because I never, you know, felt uh, accepted or loved growing up and, you know, led to all these, these problems. And um, that's really where it started is my parents weren't, weren't good parents. And I'm not denying any of that, you know. Like, I don't... I don't I'm not making fun of that. Like, to, to, when you, if you say, I did this because I had a terrible home life. Well, fine. There's some truth to that. You know, obviously the way we grew up does influence us. And obviously there are other people in your life that bear responsibility for what you did. But that doesn't change the fact that you also have responsibility. So even if it was 80% somebody else's fault, what about your 20%? Even if it was because of this and that and this perfect storm of, of situation that, that landed you in this spot, that if it weren't for that, you would have never done it. Fine, but you still did it. You still did it. And the second thing we do is blame and act like it's beyond my control and it was a matter of circumstances and other people. Well, no. At the end of the day, there was a part that you did too, and you have to own that. The third thing we do to try to short-circuit guilt or turn down the volume on guilt is overachieving. So maybe it's in the moral area, you know, you try to do a lot of good deeds or, you know, you come to church all the time or read your Bible all the time, give a lot of money away. Maybe it's not moral at all. Maybe it's just success or achievement in some other area, you know, being successful in your career or being a really good parent. Whatever it is, you know, I'm not against any of those things. All those are great things. But they can be ways of trying to stuff down the guilt and paper over the guilt. And then the last one, the last way we try to short-circuit guilt in our lives and not allow ourselves to feel it is through punishing ourselves, through, through self-flagellation of some sort. This is obviously the, the ugliest of them. It's the least productive um, but it's effective. It's an effective way to keep from feeling guilt. I want to read you what one person said, uh, thinking back to when they were a kid. We'll put this up on the screen. They said, the first time I remember inflicting guilt-motivated punishment of this kind on myself was in preschool, after I got angry with a fellow student and pushed him so hard that he slipped and fell, breaking a glass. I felt so bad about having hurt him and so afraid of what my teacher and parents might do to punish me, that I picked up a piece of the glassing and cut myself, inwardly hoping 
that the action would protect me from any impending repercussions. Of course, it didn't work. I still got reprimanded and received a punishment. It was so insignificant, however, that I can't even recall what happened, except that I did get punished and also had a cut on my hand for good measure. So really sad and tragic, but I think that we're apt to misinterpret that in in a very important way if we're not careful about how we think about it. Because I think our first instinct is to read a story like that and think, see, there you go. That's why guilt is so bad. You know, it makes us do these bad things to ourselves and punish ourselves, and, and that kid should have felt way less guilty. But that's actually not true. The, the guilt that that kid felt was appropriate, because what did he do? He's four years old, and he shoved another little kid so hard that the kid fell down and broke glass. How should a healthy four-year-old feel if they do that? They should feel sick. They should feel sick with guilt. Because if you don't, if you don't feel sick with guilt when you do that, then we're all serial killers. You know what I mean? That's where it ends up. Like, that's the, the, the natural endpoint of not feeling guilt. The issue isn't that he felt guilt. The issue is how he dealt with it. He didn't deal with it in a healthy way. And what the punishing himself is doing is it's actually, what, what that's about, it's just the same as, you know, a teenager that, that uh, cuts themselves to not feel any type of emotional pain. The idea is that the pain of the cut is so much less than the pain of the guilt. The guilt feels so terrible that the only way out is to cause some other pain. And you take the lesser of two pains. So it's, it's not a way of dealing with the guilt. It's a way of trading the guilt for something that hurts a little bit less. But the guilt is still there. The guilt that feels so terrible is still there. So that's the second section of the sermon. That's how to get more guilt in your life, how to feel more guilty, how to get your conscience working again, is you just got to stop doing these, these hacks that we've all learned to do to make guilt go away. Stop punishing yourself, stop the overachieving, stop the blaming, stop the selective memory. And if you do, if you stop doing all those things, then you will feel really good and terrible. And that takes us to the third section. What do you do with guilt? Once you got it, once you have this terrible, sick, but clean feeling in your soul of I'm really messed up and I feel so terrible about it, what do you do? What the Bible says is, and you know, there's, uh, we've been talking in this series already about how different religions have different approaches to these problems and uh, there, a lot of religions have a lot of really good things to say about whatever it is, anger or anxiety, I'll admit that. But when it comes to guilt, when it comes to what do you do with this sense of wrong, nobody has basically anything to say worth saying except the Bible, except this story about this God. And what this God says is, when you do that, when you, when you do wrong, when you sin, when you break the moral law, all you have to do is confess. You just confess it to me. You confess it to me, your father. You, you be honest about it. All the little details, not making yourself sound a little bit better than you really are. You be fully honest about it. And if you do, I will take your sin. And Psalm 103 says, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he separates our sin from us. He says, I'll, I'll throw it into the deepest ocean. But you have to confess. You heard that verse in First John that was read during the scripture reading this morning. 
said, if we confess our sins, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what the, the death of Christ on the cross is about. It talks in scripture about Christ's death on the cross. You know, why, why is this such a big deal? Why do people walk around the whole world wearing crosses around their neck? Why do you walk into these Catholic churches and there's this guy up there spread out on this, this beam, these two beams? What is that about? Why do people celebrate this? Why do people care? Because the earliest Christians have, have been saying this for 2,000 years, and we now, after a 2,000-year record, can say, look, either this is the greatest, most brilliant lie of all time, or maybe it's true. Maybe this is actually the way it works. What Scripture says is that Christ takes our sin. He takes our guilt into his own body. And we can be cleansed. We can be washed clean. clean the, the verse that uh, talks about this is, it says, though your sins were as scarlet, I've made them white as snow. But the only way to get that is through a full confession is through really letting yourself feel as guilty as you're supposed to feel and then coming to God. And that's what you see David doing. Those passages that you heard read, this is what makes David so great. I tell my girls this all the time when we're reading Bible stories. It's not that he was perfect. It's that he let himself feel guilty and he came to God and he fully confessed. And if you do that, you can have this beautiful life where you are fully loved and fully accepted for who you are. I uh, don't like to use myself as a positive example, just because it's like, hey, look at me, do, do it like I did. Um, so I try not to do this, but this is, since it was from a long time ago, and since I'm actually not the one that's, it's not really to my credit here, it's more to my parents' credit, I want to talk about how this has looked in my own life. And it's an interesting counterpoint to this uh, this kid, you know, the four-year-old that cut himself. Because my earliest memory of guilt, and you all probably have memories too, you know, really early on. My earliest memory of guilt is, and it's going to sound really silly at first. I was four years old, I was in preschool. And I knew there was like a rule against um, no copying and doing your own work. I don't know how I knew that, but I did. And we were doing a picture. You know, it's not like you're taking vocab quizzes in, in preschool. We were drawing and I drew, was drawing my son, and I'd always drawn a son with uh, straight lines for the rays. And I saw this girl next to me with this very advanced technique. She was doing triangles for the rays instead of straight lines. I thought, oh, that's really cool. So I switched to doing triangles on uh, my piece of paper. And that night, I just felt so bad about it that I had copied, that I had copied, that I had stolen her work, that I had cheated. Now, now obviously, I know it's not cheating, you know, and that's not the point of the rule, but, but look what my mom did. Look at the way that my mom saved my life and set me on the best path that she could have, is when I told her about it, she didn't say, oh, that's not what the rule meant. You know, she didn't say, oh, you don't need to feel bad about that. What she saw was that I had a properly functioning conscience. And she wanted to fan that conscience into flame. So what she said is, well, let's go in tomorrow morning. Let's go in and you confess to your teacher. And so I went in and I confessed to my teacher. I said, you know, I cheated off this fellow student and I feel so bad about it. And as soon as I confessed, do you know what I felt? Love 
and acceptance. And I was taught at four years old that all you have to do to get forgiven is ask. And that the path to love and acceptance and embrace is through guilt. You just follow your guilt to love. Because think about that preschool teacher. You know, you've got this four-year-old kid confessing he cheated by copying the sun rays. Well, that teacher loved me forever after that. You know, that teacher could not help but have her heart bound up to mine because of my vulnerability. And don't you know that God is the exact same way? That he cannot help it. He cannot help himself when you confess like that, when you're honest with him like that. But just to pour out his love on you. Because it says in Psalm 103, he has compassion on us, like a father has compassion on his children. It binds our heart to his when we confess. We're inseparable after that. He's got a special place in his heart for us. But we have to come clean to him. We have to tell him what we've done. And often it involves telling another person. You know, So maybe you start by telling a close friend that you trust. And somebody that, whose counsel, whose advice you can trust. And then they'll tell you from there who else you need to tell. Usually, in, in, in certain cases, this isn't true. In, in certain exceptions, you don't have to do this. But most of the time, you're going to have to tell the person that you wronged. The person who the sin was against. Not just against God, but against this other person. And through that process, what you get is love. What you get is acceptance on a deeper level than anything you've ever experienced before. Because you say, well, my life is fine right now. You know, I, I, I get love. I get acceptance. Yeah, you're loved and accepted for the fake version of yourself that you're putting out there. The version of you that's loved and accepted is the version where you keep the ugly stuff to yourself and don't tell anybody about it. Well, that's not love and acceptance, and you know it's not. You know you're not truly loved and accepted for who you are. And the only way to get that kind of love and acceptance from God and from other people is to come clean. If you let your guilt flower and blossom and come in full force the way God intended it to, It'll become so unbearable that you'll feel like you won't have any choice. And that's a good thing. Let's pray. God, you know that we just want to pretend like it didn't happen. Or that it's not happening. You know we want to pretend like oh, we're just going to stop and and we don't have to tell anybody. We'll just stop on our own. I ask that you would come this morning and show us how we've been lying to ourselves and lying to others. I ask that you'd help us to see that there's only one path to true love and true acceptance, and that's to confess and to come clean. God, I pray that through your spirit we would feel guilty about the things we've done. Not these messed up, wrong types of guilt, but this pure, clean guilt that comes from you. Godly sorrow that leads to repentance. Speak into our hearts this morning and show us that it's not too late. Show us that you will forgive. Show us that we can be cleansed. pray these things in Jesus' name.
Amen.